All right, kids can make their way back to be with our children's workers and to head down to Transformation Station. And I would like to invite the rest of us to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 35 today. So Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So hope you can find your way to it there in the Bibles app we've provided for you. Let's pray together one more time. Father, you are holy. And you are worthy of our highest reverence, our highest allegiance, our highest affection, our highest attention, even now. Because this isn't about a man on a stage with some words prepared to speak, but every time we open your word, it's your word. And so, Lord, may we receive it as such this morning. God, I pray that even I would just get out of the way like I try to do each week, but that I would, I would just be a vessel that we could better understand your word and, and better respond to live it out. So God, as we have, have sung this morning that you are light and you send your light to, to show us light. In your light, we see light, as the psalmist says. And so God, we pray that you would send the light of your word to flood our very hearts and souls this morning and that you would expose us in the best possible way that you would invade our space this morning, that you would uh, come and meet with us in such a real way that we could just not even deny that we met with God this morning. So Lord, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a man in the 5th century who was called by God to be a liberator. He was well suited for this task because he himself had spent the majority of his teenage years in slavery. This man became known as the Apostle of Ireland. He and many of his disciples went from shore to shore, north, east, south, and west, on the, the island of Ireland to take the gospel to every city, every village, every town. They saw so many people come to faith in Christ, converted to follow Jesus, people who once did not follow Jesus, and they saw many, many churches started there in the country of Ireland. You may know this man by the name of St. Patrick. And maybe it's appropriate that on St. Patrick's Day we could uh, give notice to him because Patrick was a man whom God used in astounding ways. Ways that are kind of the, the Ephesians 3 type of prayers God does immeasurably more than we ask or think, you know, in and through his church. People just like us, Patrick was just like us. Nothing special about him except the Spirit of God dwelling in him, using him for his purposes. And so Patrick was a man consumed with the mission of God and a vision of God that was absolutely pervasive in his heart that led him to great service and obedience. 
To think we would look at Patrick's life and say, well, how on earth is it that, that God used just a man to do such a great work for God? And I, I really do believe that it has to do with his vision of God and his understanding of the sufficiency of Christ. So, so maybe you've heard this prayer. It's known as the breastplate prayer of St. Patrick due to the fact that it, it shows how God protects his people um, day by day. So let me just read a portion of it. The, the, this is how it begins and then the, the, the main kind of verse of the prayer about Christ. Patrick starts to pray. He says, I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. And then listen to this. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right and Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Patrick was a man consumed by a great vision of Christ. Jesus Christ was his eternal salvation and Christ was his daily salvation. We could say his minute by minute, moment by moment salvation. And so should he be ours as well. Think about the confession that, that we make as believers in Christ, those who follow Christ. It's a, it's a three-word statement. The central confession of our faith is what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is king over everything. So what happens if we as his followers really begin to live as if Jesus is Lord? Like over every single piece of me, over my life, like every thought, Lord, over every action, He's the Lord. Christ with me, Christ in me, Christ on my right, left, above, beneath. And what about the, the, the last is just so powerful. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in, 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 the, in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Because he's so filled with Christ that the people just know this is Jesus' guy, right? And so... What does it look like that Christ would be so real to us that on a day-by-day -day basis, we honor Christ, we love Christ, and we long for more of Christ, both in this life and ultimately for his return? Because Jesus says, hey, I'm, I've gone away, but I'm coming back. I'm on an assignment. I'm going to continue the work, and then I'm going to Continue that work by coming back and returning to you and ushering in my kingdom. So I want us to think about that this morning. I want to ask you a question. Are you ready for his return? 
Are you ready for the return of Christ? Luke 12 is going to teach us that Jesus calls his followers to be ready for his return. It's as simple as that. If, if, if we follow Jesus, then we need to be ready for his return. And, and to be quite honest, we could take it further in that and say, even if you don't follow Jesus, you need to be thinking about his return. And you need to also be getting ready for his return. So last week we were in the first part of chapter 12 and we saw how God is sovereign over all the things in our life, life, death, money, possessions. Don't worry about that. God has it all taken care of. And so as as sure as Jesus says, hey, don't worry about the future because I have that under control. He also says, hey, prepare for today, live for today by being fully aware of what's coming in the future, namely my return back to you. And so I want to give us two ways that we can be ready for the return of Christ. Number one, be ready for Christ's return through faithful and wise living. Be ready for his return through faithful and wise living. I want to break this down as we work through verses 35 through 48 with four truths, okay? Number one, being ready. Readiness involves vigilance and watchfulness. Read verses 35 through 40 with me. Jesus begins and he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So so Jesus here teaches us how we can be ready with, with watchfulness and vigilance by knowing how we should watch for his return and, and also when we should be about watching for his return. So let's take those one by one. First, he says how we should watch. We should watch with great vigilance. Jesus uses several pictures here, word pictures, to help us understand what this should look like. He says in his opening words, stay dressed for Action. Now, you may have a footnote in your Bible that says something like, let your loins stay girded, okay? So, so a better translation for us to understand is stay dressed for action, but it's kind of good to understand the historical context. People in ancient Israel would wear long flowing robes, and they weren't always, you know, made for the swiftest of mobility. So when it says to gird up your loins, it means to grab that long cloth and, and tuck it in so you can move around very swiftly. Be ready for action. Stay dressed, ready. When the Boston Marathon comes around again, we're not going to see anyone, you know, line up at the starting line with snowsuits on, right? Just not the way it's going to be. And so Jesus says, be ready for action. Be dressed. I know we all love to wear our pajamas, right, and kind of lounge around, and you know, that's kind of it's kind of okay, you know, we need to rest and all, but like spiritually speaking, Jesus says, keep your work clothes on. Be ready. 
And then he uses another picture. He says, keep your lamps burning. So this is a picture at night. We, we have a master who's gone away to a wedding feast. That wasn't like a, a, a quick kind of like, you know, 30-minute drive, you know, uh, up to Lowell or anything. This was like, you know, on a, on a journey, come back, not know exactly how long, three days, a week, two weeks, three weeks. And so he's saying, you need to be ready for his return. Keep your lamps burning in the night so that you can welcome him at any point. And then a third picture, I love this one. In verse 37, look again, it says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. So we are to have our eyes wide open. We are to be alert for the master's return. And if, if you're anything like me, you know that, man, spiritually sometimes it, it's 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 Difficult to keep the lamp burning bright all the time, right? It's, it's, it's easy to get drowsy, not only physically, but even spiritually in our walk before God. And what we do is we end up living sleepy Christian lives. Sleepy. Sleepy prayers. Sleepy vibrance before God to, to fulfill his commands. Sleepy with the mission that he's handed down to us. Sleepy lives produce sleepy and temporal fruit that's not really going to last. And you may be saying, Tanner, that's, that's like me. That's like I feel pretty spiritually drowsy and pretty spiritually out of tune. And, and, and so, so what happens if that's me here today? Well, be encouraged to, to look back to Christ and to know that there is so much love and forgiveness and grace in the heart of God that even when we're drowsy, even when we're a little tired and our lamps are really burning low, that, that Christ can fill us again and lead us to faith and repentance so that we can live spiritually vital lives not sleepwalking through the Christian life, but really being used by God in his service to glorify him. And so this is why the resurrection matters, okay? Not just in two weeks when we celebrate the resurrection, but like every single day for the Christian. Jesus did not die and, and then was raised so that we might live sleepy Christian lives. He's given us life. Life. Can you just like, just take that one word? Just like resurrected lives. We who are in Christ were once dead in our sin, totally asleep, Ephesians 5. And he gives us life. He makes us alive. He wakes us up. And now we have eyes to see Christ and live for Christ and love Christ and honor Christ. Christ with me, in me, beside me, around me, above me, below me. So he says we should watch with great vigilance. And then number two, we should be ready at all times. So Jesus says, look, it doesn't matter if it's the second or the third watch. So if he's referring to Roman time, the second and third watch would be between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. If he's using Jewish time here, it would be between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. The point here is that we should be in perpetual go mode, ready to be welcoming him at his return. And verse 39 enforces this with a really clear, uh, you know, uh, story or picture. Again, he says, you know, hey, if, 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 if the master of the house knew when a thief was going to come, he wouldn't leave the house and allow it to be broken into. 
So, so if you knew someone was going to break into your house tonight, chances are you're not going to sleep, you know, for, the, for, the, for your normal night's rest, but you're going to get like your Louisville slugger or something even more potent, and you know, you're going to be waiting on them when they come into the house, right? So he says, be ready at all times. And we need to be ready at all times because we do not know when he will return. We don't know. And we can take it a step further and say, we cannot know. We cannot know. So all of this nonsense about, you know, the world's going to end on this particular day. And I was supposed to end like, you know, 2011, Harold Camping came out. Did you see all the bumper stickers? Noah knew we can know all this nonsense and mess. That just kind of gives a black eye to the church when it's like that. I don't know what's going on with that. So, so, so when someone comes to you and they say, well, you know, what about this? The end of the world predict, predictions and, you know, the Mayan calendar and Nostradamus and all of this. Then what do we, what do, we do with that? Well, we just say, you know what? You know, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And what he says kind of goes for my life. And, and he said in Matthew uh, 24, 36, quite clearly, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So if, if, like, if, if the angels and Jesus are like kind of waiting for the Father to give that command and knowledge, then you know, I'm not trusting in anyone who's writing an article on the internet or you know, putting that out propaganda on bumper stickers. You know what I'm saying? So we can't know the time, but we do know that Jesus will return. And so that kind of brings me to another point about all of this talk about end times and what we call eschatology in theological circles. You know, what's normally highlighted about the return of Christ is usually what is secondary and periphery, right? Peripheral. Which is what? When he's going to return and the millennium and these details and, you know, let's sell, you know, 20 volumes of books on all these little details that we maybe find in Revelation that may or may not be accurate and... And we kind of focus on that rather than what is primary and central that, number one, Jesus is coming back, and number two, it matters how we live until he returns. So why would we watch like this? This is a question for us to consider. Why would we watch with eyes wide open, watchfulness, vigilance, lamps, full, burning, bright? Well, it's because of this. It's always better when the master is in the house. It's better to be with Christ. I mean, you, you guys are great, but you're not Jesus, you know what I'm saying? You're not, you're not the one who made me. You're not the one who saved me. You're not the one who fills me. You're not the one who gives me peace and joy that's unexplainable. So I'd rather be with him. And if you're in Christ, then we'll all be together anyway. <laughs> It's always better when the master's in the house. And there are a lot of things that we can't wait for, whether it's the arrival of a new baby or a wedding date or an opportunity or a new job or whatever the case may be. But from a biblical perspective, there should be nothing that we long for more than this event, the return of Jesus Christ. And so one of the difficult things for me this week was to say, okay, Tanner, let's look in the mirror. Like, I know you're preparing the sermon this week, but last week, did you think about the return of Christ? Like, even just once? Like, in a real tangible sense, I'm not saying, like, you know, Christian, my life matters, yeah, I'll be judged one day because Jesus is coming back. But I'm saying, like, is that, 
Does that ever like cross our minds and get into our, our hearts? Jesus is coming back. And it's a great motivator for us to live our lives for God in the present. And so this is something that we need to remind one another of. That's why we need to open our Bibles. And, and, and to be honest, it's all throughout. It's all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God is going to restore everything. He's going to send his son to return. And so whether it's because we're so focused on the here and now, which again, the, the there and then should influence the here and now, so it's, it's wise to think about the second coming of Christ, or whether it's because you know, we, we don't think Christ's return is imminent, which again is contrary to so many verses in Scripture, and I could list, rattle off a list for you that, that says you know, Jesus could come back the next time you blink your eye. We need to be ready. Sometimes we just think, just like the, the guy we saw in the first part of Luke chapter 12, the rich man, you know, hey, I'm just going to take it easy. Life is grand. I'll be, you know, I'll eat, drink, and be merry. I'll build these barns. I'll store it up for myself. And Jesus says, you fool, for, for tonight, the, the, your life is demanded of you. So we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another 20, 30 years. Hopefully this raises the, the urgency in our hearts to want to long for Christ and to expect his return. And here's the encouragement, okay? Psalm 34, verse 5 says this. Those who look to him, look to God, are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. So if we're, if we're looking to Christ day in and day out, if, if, we're, if we're fixing our eyes on him, laser beam focus on Christ, then the Bible says that our faces will be like radiant, full of him, shining for him, and we'll have no need to be ashamed on this day or on that one when he returns. So, readiness involves being vigilant and watchful. It also reflects wise and faithful stewardship with our lives. Look in verses 40 and 42, 41 and 2. It says, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? So last week, we looked at financial stewardship, the money, the, the possessions that God entrusts to us. John said, we are to be stewards over those. We are to manage them on God's behalf. These are his possessions, not ours, and so we should steward them well. Now, verses 41 and 2 are saying, hey, let's not just kind of steward that piece of our life, but let's just steward our life. Let's just manage the whole deal because every piece of it matters to God. And so this salvation that God gives is a gift. And this life that God gives us is a gift. It's a gift to be enjoyed, and it's a gift that we should receive and live for His glory because He has given it to us to steward on His behalf. Our life belongs to Him as much as our money belongs to Him. And so there are countless opportunities every single day, much less over the course of a whole life, that we have to steward our lives wisely and faithfully. We just, we just do, do what God says. 
We live according to his game plan. This is what faithfulness looks like. It's, it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to be like super Christian, that, that every person looks to is like, you know, saint such and such. Okay, we're all saints, by the way. We talked about St. Patrick. Okay, we're all saints, right? It's like super, super scriptural. Um, but, 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 you know, faithfulness is faithfulness. It's just day by day living for God in the smallest details of our lives. I love the prayer of William Carey, one of the great missionaries of the church, who says this, only let us be faithful. There's a five-word prayer for you. There's a five-word encouragement to share with one another. Only let us be faithful. And this is so important because our work will be evaluated. There's no getting around it. Our work, we will stand before God one day. And even, even for us as Christians, right? We will plead the blood of Christ. Christ's righteousness is in me. I have nothing to give to God of my own. So I am saying, I am in. I have eternal life because what Jesus has done, not because what I have done. And then at the same time, we will still give an account for everything. Every thought, every action. Jesus even says in the gospel, every single little word. A great encouragement for us to watch our tongue. So we will give an account for all of this and the consequences of our actions bring distinct results. So we see this in two ways. Um, verses 45 through 48 teach us that rebellion and neglect bring serious consequences. Let's read those together. It says, But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him will much be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So what is Jesus saying here? It matters what the master hands down as commands, and we need to willingly embrace those and put those into practice. Because if we are like one of these three men, these three servants, who the first one says, you know what, man, my master's delayed. I can take life easy. I can mistreat people. I can self-indulge. I can do whatever I want. And it really doesn't matter. The master's going to come back when he least expected. He's going to see the mess in the room, and he is going to hold him to account. And it's a serious account. Why? Because this is blatant, willful rejection of God's plan for this servant. He blatantly lives contrary to the master's expectation. He has no regard for his master, which then leads him to have no regard for the master's people, so he beats the male and female servants. By the way, if your love for God is lax, your love for people will soon follow, and it'll look reflective of your love for God. You understand? So, so, so a good litmus test is, hey, if I'm struggling to love people, then you might want to backtrack and say, how is my love for God? Because if you don't love the master, you're not going to love the master's people, people made in his image. 
And then what is worse, he just lives self-indulgently, digging his own grave and the consequences, which are severe and graphic. He will be dismembered, and he will be placed with the unfaithful in a place that we know as hell, eternally separated from God. That is the severest consequence and punishment that we see here. But then verse 47 says that there is another servant. This servant fails to do what his master wants, but it's less blatant and not as openly rebellious because this is unfaithful stewardship through neglect. So it's kind of what we read in James 4 where where James says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So we know some good things that we ought to do, but, but we don't do it. And so for, for those servants, then they still receive punishment, but it's not as severe. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a severe beating. And then finally, this, this last form you see in verse 48, it says, but the one who did not know and, and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. So this is a neglect out of ignorance and this, the, the punishment is, is less severe. So, so what I can conclude from Luke 12 is that just as there are rewards in heaven that we're talking about today, how we live matters, there are also there, there are degrees of reward in heaven and I believe from this passage there are degrees of punishment in hell. So a lot of times you'll talk to people out and about and one of the, the kind of what might be called a defeater belief for Christianity is that, you know, well, uh, what about the man on an island who never hears of Christ? Does that person be- deserve to go to hell? Well, we would say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and even that person is, is guilty before God because of their sinful nature and because of their sinful choices. They have not lived for God even as creation points to the existence of their creator. So we would say that that person, apart from the knowledge of Christ, does not have the hope of of eternal life in heaven. But but, but then we would also say, but but there are degrees of, of accountability. So this person never knew, and I think God will be more merciful to that person than to those who have heard the truth of Christ, which, oh, by the way, that includes you, because you just heard. And we say that in love, but we say that with, with validity, because this is what Jesus is saying here. Everyone to whom much was given, of him will much be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And this is a haunting verse for me. And I hope it's a haunting verse for you. And what I mean by that is haunting in the most healthy way possible. But we have been given so much. We've been given Christ. We've been given his word. We've been given so many opportunities to to pursue God, to learn from him. I can look back at my own life and look at the the, the people, the family, the, the men that God's placed in my life, the responsibilities God has given me. 
for some odd reason in his grace. And, and I come back to this verse and I'm saying like, God, help me out here <laughs> because you've, you've given me so much and I know that there's so much will be expected and required. So again, allow, allow the reality of your life and what God has entrusted to you to be a motivator, not, not to cause you to, to be hesitant and to, and to retreat and to step back and say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do here? But to, but to go and to serve. Because here's the beautiful thing. It's, it's not only that rebellion and neglect brings serious consequences, but faithful service brings serious blessings. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. We can't even wrap our mind around this blessing. There are three clear and prominent blessings that belong to the people of God if we are in him, okay? So number one, what is implicit is what we've already discussed, that it is the blessing of Christ himself, more of Christ. The, the, the story could end right there, and we would have all we need for all eternity to be with Christ. Like, like Jesus, you could just stop right there at, the, at verse 37. You came back, that's enough. I'm, I am full. But he doesn't stop there. He says that the master will come back and he will have you set down at a banquet table and he will gird up his loins and he will serve you. It's astounding. Jesus will serve each one of you and me? He did it before with his disciples, right? He humbled himself. He washed their dirty feet. And he will serve us in the coming kingdom of God. And if that's not enough for you, then verses 43 and 4 teach us that he will also give more responsibility to those who serve wise and faithfully. 43, blessed is that servant whom his master find, will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So good service leads to more service, more opportunity, more responsibility. This is why we said in our work series that God made us to work and he not only makes us to work for this life, but we will continue to work for all eternity. So part of our rewards in heaven are for us to Take up service in the service of our king as citizens of the true city of God. This is unbelievable news. And it is why we must respond to the gospel, not only for the first time, but every time, every single day. But let this motivate you. What you do the rest of this afternoon, what you do tonight, what you do over the next six or seven days, until we come back, it all matters to God. And you have opportunity to be a faithful and wise manager of what he has entrusted to us. So let me just give you a quick framework. How do we, how do we then seek faithful service? Well, this is why we have these core values as a church. All right, so we want to be on board with gospel devotion, devoting ourselves to God every single day. We want to be on board with gospel holiness, like how we live our life matters. And we want to reflect the character of God with our actions and character. Then, then we want to live as gospel community. So, so, so gospel devotion, gospel holiness, gospel community. So we are, are, are a family. We love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. 
These are ways that we can live wise and faithful lives. And then on top of that, here's a fourth one, gospel mission. This news is too good for us just to kind of keep to ourselves. And so we want to be about the business of the mission of Christ and we want to get out and spread this great news to as many people as we can, hundreds of thousands of people around here, by the way, that need Jesus. And so there is a wonderful opportunity right now just because it's the time of year, it happens every year, but with Easter coming up, people might have more spiritual questions. They might be a little more spiritually open and it's a great time to reach out to those around you. So that's why we've placed in your seat five of these cards. We have like 5,000. We have probably a few too many. <laughs> but you can take these cards and you can just give them to friends, family, coworkers, neighbors to say, you know what? I, it, listen, it doesn't matter if you haven't been to church in years. Man, our church, we love all people and we would love for you to come and join us on one of these two Sundays. Easter, Easter Sunday, a great excuse for someone to come to church. And then second anniversary celebration on uh, uh, April 7th, another great excuse because we have a free lunch to follow and most people enjoy free food. So... I hope that you will use those. And let me just give another kind of confession moment as a pastor. Here, here's one thing I'm guilty of. So if the shoe fits, you can wear my shoes. Um, a lot of times I'm great at inviting people to church. It's just not very hard for me. I have, again, more responsibility and accountability here. Um, you know, hey, what do you do? Yeah, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Why don't you come to my church? It's just like super easy. And so I'm, I'm really comfortable there. I'm really pretty good at that. But, but one thing that, that, and I come sometimes grow discouraged, like, man, you know, all these people that I invite, invited five or six people this week, zero people came, like, what's up with that? And you know what I need to do a better job of? I need to do a better job of actually sharing the gospel with people and allowing God to grab a hold of their lives so that they will then want to come to church. It shouldn't be surprising that those who don't know God and love God wouldn't want to come to church. But if I can tell them about Jesus and the difference that he can make, then perhaps they'll be more apt to come to church. So it's a both and, but if you're with me, then let's pray for one another and, and grow in that. So, so be ready for Christ's return through, through great faithfulness and, and wise living. Number two, be ready by seeing and savoring God's work in Christ. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up the pace here. So, so number one, we need to understand that Jesus brings division. Okay, verses 49 through 53. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. What's the mission of Jesus? It's to, to cast a fire on the earth. Okay, that's not what's like highlighted on any kind of church banners or anything like that, but that's what Jesus says. He comes to bring fire. It's the fire of his judgment. And oh, by the way, it's a fire that he was baptized with on the cross. That's what verse 50 says. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Again, the resolve of Christ to finish his mission, which is the impetus for our own mission and work. V verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus, what are you saying here? He, he comes and the angels announce glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those whom his favor rests. Isaiah prophesies about him and he is the, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, 
Prince of Peace. So how is it that the Prince of Peace comes to bring a sword of division? Well, the peace that he brings, when he brings it into the hearts of people, naturally divides them from everyone else who doesn't share in that peace. So if you are in Christ, then perhaps you've experienced this, whether it's with friends, whether it's with family, you know that when God makes you a new person and gives you Jesus, that it necessarily affects other relationships in your life. Because those who still reject Christ are not in him, and now there is this division. It doesn't mean that, that there can't be a great relationship. It doesn't mean that you don't love one another. It doesn't mean that you don't seek to bring them onto the team of Christ. But Jesus came not only to bring peace, but he came to bring division. And I think people who don't believe in Christ yet really understand that this is part of the barriers of, in them coming to Christ. So if, if that's you, and you say, man, I know the cost is great, and, and my choosing to follow Christ is going to be a, a, a source of social consequence, then I just want to tell you that Jesus is worth it. And what we just read about the rewards and the consequences and the punishment of heaven and hell surely are incentive enough to say, man, Jesus is a more valuable treasure and a greater relationship than all other earthly relationships. And then we work and we pray so that father is no longer divided against son and mother is no longer divided against daughter. And that is why we share, display, and declare the gospel. So we understand that Jesus brings division. That's why it's imperative that we not miss what God has done in Christ. Okay, so the quick story on this here, you see in verse 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say it once a shower is coming and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So in Palestine, when, when, when the westward wind blew off the Mediterranean Sea, they knew rain was coming, right? Or when wind blew in from the south, coming off the desert, it was about to get hot. Jesus says, you can figure all that out, but here are some other signs right in front of you. Go read the Gospel of John, seven climactic signs, water and the wine, feeding the 5,000, raising Lazarus from the dead, just to name a few. And he's saying, these signs are in front of you to show you that I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And if you come to me, you'll never thirst again. And so the works of God are in front of us. How sad, how tragic would it have been for those people who saw Jesus walk with Jesus, ate the fish and the, and the bread that day, and they stand before God and they say, I missed it. And how sad would it be for us to hear the truth of, of God, to see the work of Christ, even see the work of Christ in other people, this unmistakable joy and peace that, that, that goes qualitatively beyond anything that, that maybe you've experienced as an unbeliever, and you would say, you know what? I missed it. Don't miss what God has done in Christ. So if, if you have not seen and savored the work of God in Jesus Christ, then this last encouragement is for you. Settle up with God through Jesus. Settle up your accounts with God through Jesus. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? 
as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now, on the surface, it looks like this is human relationships, right? If you have a rift, if you have some, some conflict, then you need to seek resolution, you need to make that right. And I think that's more of what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, I think. And you go back and study it again because this was kind of a surprise to me in this study. All right? but, the, but the context here suggests that this is the servants on a journey through life and one day they're ultimately going to stand before God and have to give an account for their lives just as we will have to give an account for our lives. And so... When you go to stand before God, will your account be clear? Will it be balanced because of what Jesus has done? Because here's the deal. Our lives are not so pretty before one another and especially before God. And so we're in his debt. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earn for the debt of our sin. The good news is, as Colossians 2 says, that Jesus on the cross cancels out the written code that was written against us. So every time I have broken one of God's laws and you have broken one of God's laws, if you are in Christ, all of these transgressions have been wiped out and washed white as snow. So now, if you are in Christ, your debt has gone to zero... But even better than that, if you are in Christ, you have been filled with the righteousness of Christ and you are immeasurably rich. You have everything you need for life and godliness through him. And so if we settle our accounts now, we will be ready to face God then. So let me ask you once again, are you ready to meet God, are you ready to meet Christ when he returns? I'll close with this quick story. There was a rich man and a master builder. And this rich man had this master builder, this master architect. He could do it all. And so he, just for the, the duration of his career working for this rich man, he, he was just a, a hard taskmaster. Hey, I want you to do this. It has to be perfect. You, you can you know, build all these multi-million dollar houses and they have to be perfect down to the details. The best materials, the best you name it. He had just slaved away for this rich man his whole entire life. And so it's, it's, it's getting to the end of his career, you know, and he's, he's, he's about to be done working for this rich man. And the rich man comes to him and he says, I want you to build me one more house. And I want this to be the most beautiful, the most extravagant, the most magnificent house you have ever built. It needs to be the masterpiece. And you know what? The, the, the builder, the master builder, he says, you know what? This is my opportunity. This is the last house. I'm going to stick it to my boss and I am not going to take the most beautiful materials and I'm not going to take the most intricate detail on this work. It's going to look really good on the outside, but on the inside, it's going to fall down in just a matter of years. And so he uses the cheapest material. He puts in the cheapest labor. He gets the job done. And after 
he's finished and the rich man comes to the house and he looks at it on the outside it looks so beautiful the 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 the, the, the owner is, is so impressed he says you know what you have faithfully served me all these years i'm so impressed by all of your work so i want to give you the keys to your new house And so we will one day face God and we will give an account for our lives and then how we build our house on the foundation of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, will be what we reap for the way we live our lives. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the privilege of knowing Jesus. We thank you that you sent him the first time to give us life and salvation and you will send him a second time to give us life and salvation. And so Lord, may we be those who fix our eyes on Christ, who look to Christ, who Christ is everything to us and that influences everything about us. Father, we confess and ask your forgiveness for when we are quite sleepy, when we are drowsy, when we are lax, when we're not so faithful, when we're not so wise. And we pray now, even in these moments, as we, as we pray, as we reflect, as we partake of the Lord's Supper in a few moments, God, that, that we could just confess that to you and we could find so much love and forgiveness in your heart that we could be washed clean again. So Lord, would you do that even now, as we worship you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.